0: This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. If you are stuck and if you are beating yourself up because there's something in your life you just can't fix or change or move past, I am here to tell you I hope this podcast and radio show today just changes your life. Laura K. Connell is our guest, and she's talking about the five family roles in dysfunctional families, and you're going to find out it's not your fault. Shine On brought to you by New York Ketamine Solutions. We'll be right back.
1: If you're coping with depression and nothing has worked, New York Ketamine Infusions would like to hear from you. They're accepting new patients suffering from depression, PTSD, anxiety, and other mood disorders. Ketamine works differently than traditional treatments, and they're the most experienced ketamine infusion center in the nation. New York Ketamine Infusions physician-led team safely administers doses tailored for each patient and boasts an impressive 84% success rate. To learn more, visit nyketamine.com.
0: Hi, it's Casey. Laura K. Connell is a trauma expert. In her new book, It's Not Your Fault, The Subconscious Reasons Why We Self-Sabotage and How to Stop. You might just find yourself or someone in your family, and all of life just might start making more sense to you. We've got the scapegoat, the hero, the mascot, the lost child, and the enabler. Some people grew up in homes where it wasn't safe to tell the truth. Some people grew up in homes where everybody just really early on and tacitly bought into the same lie. Like, okay, this is our deal. We have to make it look good, but it doesn't have to be good. And we're just all gonna play a role to keep this secret intact. If you grew up in a household like that, you May have lived with the scapegoat, the hero, the lost child, the mascot, the enabler. These are five of the archetypal roles, archetypal patterns that people embody. In a dysfunctional family. And it's a coping skill to get you through this unnatural terrain. And it's a coping skill to help you suppress and turn away from your actual feelings. But you may have bought into this so deeply in your youth that now in adulthood, these very same tendencies are holding you back. But changing those tendencies feels like death. These ways of being in the world are so ingrained to who you are are you are quite convinced there is no other way to be and it feels so genuine but it's really just a coping skill Laura K Connell is our guest Your book is called It's Not Your Fault. So, Laura, I want to know what's not our fault. Is it not our fault that we chose the role or not our fault that we can't change it?
2: Great question. So, in my opinion, a lot of the self-sabotage that we deal with as adults that we blame ourselves for and that, honestly, a lot of the self-help out there blames us for tacitly, even if they don't say it out loud, there is a sense that it's your fault, it's your responsibility, Um, Uh, This is what you need to do. And it can be quite tough, you know, quite mean-spirited sometimes. And so my argument is that self-sabotage almost all the time comes from things that happened to us in childhood. And these are instances of let's call them unmet needs, could be emotional abuse and neglect, but it doesn't even have to be that severe, just a sense that your needs weren't being met the way they should have been, at least for you. And this creates coping mechanisms in you to survive the pain of that. And as adults, these tend to look like self-sabotage. So things that really in your child's heart kept you alive, helped you survive back then, become very maladaptive in adulthood. So that's my argument in the book.
0: The things that helped us survive childhood aren't good for us in adulthood or many of the things that helped us survive in childhood aren't good for us. When you say self sabotage, I think about the people who who can't get out of their own way. Like you look at them and say, wow, they could have everything. Why did they just make that silly decision? Or why didn't they stay with that job? Or why did they walk away from that relationship? Can you give me some examples of what You mean when you say self-sabotage?
2: Absolutely, and the way you described it there, getting in your own way, is an absolutely perfect way to describe self-sabotage. And people, including myself in the past, who struggle with this, we ask this question of ourselves as well. So it's not only people looking at us, it's ourselves also asking us, why do I keep doing these things that are bad for me? So some examples, I would say a big one is people pleasing or not having good boundaries. So allowing people to take advantage of you or sort of doing things that other people want that aren't good for you, which really leads you to have a very inauthentic life. And again, how this goes back to childhood is that if you grew up in a home where you sense that your parents really needed you to go along with what they wanted, so speaking up for yourself or complaining or having needs wasn't well received, it would actually get you rejected. And as a child, you're so desperate for your parents to love you and it accept you. And that feels in your body like a life or death situation. And if you think about it, it makes sense because as a child, you are so dependent on your parents that it does feel like a death if they don't accept you. You're going to be in a lot of trouble if these people aren't taking care of you, right? So you develop the coping mechanism of not having boundaries, pleasing your parents. And so that people-pleasing focus or that focus on something outside of you instead of tuning into what you want, that becomes a way of life for you and that's why setting boundaries is difficult even in adulthood. That people pleasing continues in adulthood because you're treating other people, you're kind of giving them the same power that you gave your parents and even though it doesn't make sense logically in your body, you feel like you might die if somebody rejects you, so you're just scrambling to please them. That's one example.
0: Did you say it feels like feels like you might die?
2: Yes, this is a nervous system issue. So this is why adults who have trouble setting boundaries might relate to the feeling of their body kind of feeling hijacked so even though the brain logically knows I should be setting the boundary this person can't hurt me the body is saying if you don't please this person you're gonna die because that's the conditioning from childhood and it's the fight-or-flight response which is what comes up when we are in danger and when we are fighting for our lives and that is what got activated as the child when you were under threat of rejection from your parent like I said because the parent is so important to the child they're so dependent on them in the body it does feel like they might die it's that intense of a feeling so the mind can't talk you out of that feeling the body is in a state of like I'm fighting for your life here and that kind of takes precedence over what the brain is telling you logically
0: Wow. All right. I can feel right now light bulbs going on in people's hearts because when you're stuck in a pattern, it really does feel like you can't get out of it. And we have, Laura, mentioned fight or flight a thousand times on this show, but no one's ever put it the way you put it before, like in childhood, that fight or flight feels like you have to do this or you're going to die
2: it's very intense it's very intense and that's why it's hard to get out of and that's why if you're like me in the past who started out with behavior modification and thought control and things that were very head-based it just wasn't a match for what was going on in my body so i could kind of get by for a little while but it, it never felt authentic and that's because you know, Bessel van der Kolk says, the body knows the score. And that's the truth. It's in the body where the authenticity lies. And so the head might be telling you one thing, but the body and also the subconscious that I talk about in the book, that is going to be where your behavior actually comes from. In the long run, you're going to go back to those patterns because that behavior modification, the habit changing, often it doesn't last if you don't really transform what's going on inside that starts. In childhood.
0: So when you say it's not your fault, I'm understanding better now that what's not our fault is this inability to think our way out of this uh, trap that we're in.
2: Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And also that self-sabotage is not a sign of weakness or a lack of willpower or a lack of discipline. It might look like that, but often people who are self-sabotaging as a result of childhood trauma, they have a lot of willpower. They have a lot of self-discipline, but they still can't get out of these patterns.
0: Right. They have a lot of willpower because they had to work so hard at whatever it is they had to work so hard at to survive what ever happened in childhood.
2: You said it exactly right. And the energy is going into that survival, whether that's real or imagined. Again, the nervous system doesn't know what's real or imagined. It just knows how it feels. And so your energy is going into survival, really, rather than into things like healthy things, like moving you forward in your life goals, completing your tasks, all of those things, working on healthy relationships. Instead, you've just been kind of in this just as pattern of survival, essentially.
0: You can describe for us five dysfunctional family roles and how to break the cycle.
2: The one I see most commonly, especially in my practice coaching people, and one that I've recovered from myself is called the scapegoat. This is the family scapegoat. And this is the person who is generally the most honest one, the one who wants to get to the bottom of the dysfunction in the family. So they want to talk about things They want to know why things are going the way they're going because uh, dysfunctional families are so inauthentic and they don't tend to allow for honest emotional expression. Everything is about hiding what's really going on and presenting a certain image to the public and to themselves. And the scapegoat also gets blamed for all the problems in the family. So they're really a convenient diversion from actually addressing the problems in the family. So everyone else in the clan will sort of point a finger at the scapegoat and say they're the problem if it weren't for them everything would be fine in this family when in fact all the scapegoat is trying to do is point out what's wrong and how can we fix it and often they're very innocently doing this especially as children because the scapegoat is often chosen as a child as a child they're very innocently just telling the truth and they don't know yet that that's not allowed in this family This family, we don't tell the truth. We present a certain image. We tell things the way we want to see them. And we tell them in a way that we don't have to address problems. We don't have to look at things that need to change. And things can just keep going on the way they are, even though they're not working, even though nobody's allowed to be themselves. And what happens is the scapegoat often gets gaslit, which is a term that means you're basically told that what you see or what you feel is not valid either it's not real or you don't have a right to your feelings and so when the scapegoat just expresses their emotions like I did in my family they get demonized so they get called crazy scapegoats are called crazy for having honest human emotions and often the family will bait the scapegoat so they will sort of drive them crazy a little bit so get a reaction out of them and then they'll point to the reaction which is a normal human reaction to being bullied and they'll say that's the problem see you are crazy you're the one with the
0: problem not us we're talking to Laura K. Connell and her book is called It's Not Your Fault The Subconscious Reasons We Self-Sabotage you described that so beautifully I'm sure just that right there helped a lot of people but yet there are four other roles can we explore further?
2: The next one I would look at would be maybe the hero in the family. This is the person who is presenting an image of perfection, very high achieving. You know, as a child, they might be a really good athlete. As an adult, they're going to excel at work. They might have a really perfect-looking family of their own. Um, But everything they do is just to maintain an image for the family so the family can say, look at what we produced. We are doing fine because this person is doing so well. But really, they're doing well in only the exterior ways. So on the inside, they've totally abandoned themselves. They're doing what the family thinks is right. They probably don't have a job they really love. It's just what the family thinks is good. And they have a a real pressure to be perfect. They don't have intimacy in their lives because they don't allow themselves the vulnerability that's required to have true relationships with people. So everything about them is kind of like a shell. They're just there to kind of prop up the family's system. Show the world that we're doing okay because our son or daughter is doing so well. Look at them. How did they get that way? Often, you know, these things get chosen subconsciously and that's one of the taglines in my book is about the subconscious. So it's not always a conscious decision that the family makes. Sometimes it is, but it might just be the person who is sort of well suited to that role. So if one of the children is excelling at something, then all of a sudden they get put into that role of, okay, that's what you do. You're the one who's perfect. You're the one who gets everything right. You're the one who gets straight A's. You're the one who's the amazing athlete, whatever it is. And what they actually want or need, their emotions, those don't matter. Those get set aside. They're just there to represent the family well.
0: But then they take on that role with great gusto.
2: Yeah, they do. But it's what's happening on the inside. There's a real disconnect on the inside. so, and I've known heroes, I was married to one, so I know this intimately. They are not connected to themselves because, like I said, everything they're doing on the outside is for someone else. It's for the family. It's for an image. So they're not truly connecting with their, themselves and they're not truly connecting with other people because they don't allow themselves to show any imperfection, to show any vulnerability. And those are really required to have. honest relationships, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Laura K. Connell is our guest, a trauma-informed author and coach who helps people uncover blind spots that lead to relationship struggles and self-sabotage. All right, give me another role.
2: So the next one I would point to is called the mascot and this is the person who uses humor to diffuse tension in the family. So a typical scenario would be a, a dinner table conversation that's becoming tense. There's a threat of of a conflict arising. And so the mascot is going to jump in and rescue everyone from having to face that conflict by being funny, maybe making themselves look silly. And that's their job. They're rescuing you from having to face the difficult conversations. And in doing that, they prevent the family from facing what it needs to face, which is their own problems, their own need to change. All the roles in these families are really designed to prevent change and to prevent families from looking at the thing that they actually need to look at. Because families need a crisis in order to change. Everybody needs a crisis in order to really change. And all these rules prevent that from happening. And the mascot, like the hero, is missing out on the intimacy in life because all they're concerned with is um, helping other people avoid... Conflict And so avoiding conflict, again, is not the way to have intimacy in relationship. It, it's really going to avoid intimacy. So that's what they're missing in their lives.
0: We've got the mascot, the scapegoat, the hero, and... And we
2: also have the lost child. And that's the one who just like it sounds, is kind of invisible in the family. So they've made a decision, whether it's conscious or not, that they're really going to fly under the radar. They're going to try not to be noticed. And this is how they escape the pain of the conflict in the family. But what it means is that they feel like they're not really part of the family and they feel as though their needs and wants are not being met, but they don't know how to voice those. And even if they did in this type of family, they probably wouldn't get them met. But they're really, just very quiet, invisible, fly under the radar. And that has consequences in the real world outside the family because they behave that way. They're kind of invisible. Don't speak up for themselves. Try to go unnoticed. And as you can imagine, the implications for that in life and at work are that you're not going to get ahead. People aren't going to know who you are or or your value if you don't show them, right? And you're not going to get your needs met if you don't voice them. So that's what The Lost Child is dealing with. You know, the type who might be in their room all the time, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing.
0: And later in life, they feel like it would be risking death for them to speak up.
2: Yes. Being very quiet and under the radar is a survival mechanism for them. So yes, it would feel very dangerous to speak up.
0: All right. And finally?
2: The enabler. So the enabler is the family martyr, so to speak. And this is the one who really helps everyone at the expense of themselves. They have very poor boundaries. They are kind of preventing people in the family from facing the consequences of their actions or their inactions. So they're going to jump in and rescue people. And if they're a parent themselves, they might do that rescuing with their children. So if a child, say, hasn't studied for a test, they're going to write a note to the teacher and say, my child can't take the test for whatever reason, instead of Allowing the child to face the consequences of their actions and their fear is that if they don't jump in and save everybody this way that the family is going to fall apart and they're going to end up alone.
0: Laura K. Connell is our guest, and her book is called It's Not Your Fault, The Subconscious Reasons Why We Self-Sabotage and How to Stop. When you're working with someone, you do a lot of coaching. How long does it take you to figure out which of these roles somebody is still playing in adulthood?
2: Oh, that's easy. I can get that in the first session or even just in a short call. When people come to me, they know already. It's most often the scapegoat is what I get. But I've also seen the lost child. Those are the main ones I get. Maybe a little bit of enabler, but scapegoat by far the most. And I think that might be because the scapegoat, like I said, is the one seeking the truth. It's the one who really wants to get to the bottom of things. They tend to be most likely to go for help, right?
0: And the heroes not coming near you because their whole their whole structure is to just put up this big f-
2: Yes. And you know, it's interesting because I have had heroes and generally male. I don't know what the ratio is, like if there's more male or female, but I've had male heroes DM me on Instagram sort of on the down low and say, oh, I'm the hero in my family. You know, can I talk to you? They are aware once they get the tools to know, like I have a quiz on my website. So that's normally where people find out which role they play. And yeah, the hero can be confusing because it's so rewarded externally, but on the inside, they sense that something is not right.
0: I guess it's possible that later in life, a hero could find themselves in a relationship with a scapegoat and the scapegoat wants the truth. And the hero's like, yeah, we're not going near it. I mean, I bet this makes Mm -hmm. for some interesting dynamics in personal relationships.
2: Yeah, it does, and I think I would describe my marriage that way a little bit, because my husband was the hero in his family, and I was the scapegoat in my family, but interestingly, being married to him gave me a bit of that hero status in my family's eyes. It's like his hero stuff rubbed off on me just Mm -hmm. by being associated with him, but definitely in the early stages of our relationship, I was for sure the scapegoat who was always wanting to tell the truth, and he would say things to me like, you're too deep for me, you know, because the scapegoat tends to have a lot of depth and insight as well, that desire for truth, you know. These were the dynamics we were playing with. One person who wanted to avoid intimacy, the hero, and another person who was craving it and not knowing how to get it. So, I mean, we're divorced now. That didn't work out. But that's an example of the dynamics that were going on.
0: The hero, the scapegoat, the enabler, the lost child, the mascot. How to spot dysfunctional family roles in a toxic system. Laura K. Connell, our guest, you can find her at laurakconnell.com. We'll be right back with our thought for the day.
1: If you're coping with depression and nothing has worked, New York Ketamine Infusions would like to hear from you. They're accepting new patients suffering from depression, PTSD, anxiety, and other mood disorders. Ketamine works differently than traditional treatments, and they're the most experienced ketamine infusion center in the nation. New York Ketamine Infusions physician-led team safely administers doses tailored for each patient and boasts an impressive 84% success rate. To learn more, visit nyketamine.com.
0: Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for being here to shine on today. We've got our Monday Zoom coming up this week. Check out caseysplace.com for more. Our thought for the day is from Eckhart Tolle, who said, if the structures of the human mind remain unchanged, we will always end up recreating the same world, the same evils, the same dysfunction. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on.